Hey, my name is Nathan Resnick. Welcome to e-commerce on tap. Today we have some really cool entrepreneurs that are starting Prive. It's the go-to SaaS subscription platform for e-commerce merchants. Claudia and Alex here are both co-CEOs and they're joining us on e-commerce on tap brought to you by Sourceify. Claudia, I want to have you start. Give us your backstory and just a quick 30 seconds on Prive. Okay, amazing. Where do I start? I'm based in San Francisco. As you mentioned, I'm one of the co-founders of Prive. Prior to starting Prive, I was at Uber as a product manager where Alex and I actually were working on a bunch of engagement levers, pricing, subscriptions, membership, and we can get a little bit more into that. But my passion was always in e-commerce. I had my own Shopify store in college, had done you know work at traditional retailers like Calvin Klein, Tommy Hilfiger, and realized there was such a gap between how tech companies like Uber, Amazon, Lyft, so on and so forth, really think about revenue optimization, engaging their users, and what sort of historically retail and e-commerce look like. After a couple of years at Uber, Alex and I were thinking through some problems and realized there's a massive opportunity for this burgeoning space of e-commerce with the growth there for us to provide some of the tech and science that we had been working on in a very different context and framing. So we started talking to a bunch of D2C brands, merchants, really trying to understand what their problems were, especially with revenue, pricing, all of that type of thing. And the consistent thing that kept on jumping out was, wow, we would love to have more reliable revenue subscriptions. We don't know how to make it work for our business, or we do have subscriptions and the implementation sucks. It's really difficult to manage. Customers hate it because there's a lot of friction. And so Alex and I put our heads together and said, I think we're the perfect team to solve this problem. That's awesome. Alex, how did you meet Claudia? I know so many people love to hear the kind of the founder background story. Yeah. And it's so hard, especially even as an e-commerce founder, a lot of times to find a co-founder. How did you two meet? Yeah, it's an interesting story. So I grew up in Canada and I moved to the Bay Area about four years ago and also started my career in product as well. I mentioned at Uber. And so we were both product managers working on various sides of the core business at Uber. And we had worked on Marketplace, which was a very algorithmic team balancing supply and demand. So uh, when you think about the surge algorithm, for example, at Uber, that was infamous to some extent. We had basically worked on various different teams that dealt with these engagement levers. And so I think as Claudia mentioned, we saw this, we had this realization as both consumers of direct to consumer businesses, we were both avid shoppers and long before we started Prive and realized that, hey, the space is growing super, super quickly and everyone is able to go online, start a business, but then scaling a business and making it work is really difficult. And you might know from your audience and your listeners that getting to a million is one accomplishment, but going from 1 million in revenue to 10 million is a totally different accomplishment. And it's very mm -hmm. similar to tech businesses. And we started in this space by thinking about how do you merchants think about engagement? How can they think about engagement the same way that a tech company like Amazon, for example, Uber or Airbnb, how can they start thinking about it that way? And what are the parallels and benefits? And we had started jamming on some of these ideas and said, hey, what are your favorite D2C brands? What can we do for them? And I went down this path of discovery and realized that a lot of the things that we had been working on were similar problems in this space. And a lot of the thinking that went around 
oh, I'm an e-commerce brand or merchant. I'm just going to change the color on this specific thing on my website. I'm going to expect conversion of 30, 40%. And while that might be the case for a Facebook, for example, where you have billions of users and you can change the color to blue, there's some famous examples of this and driving right. massive business outputs. It certainly isn't the case for some of the more foundational things. So it turns out that subscriptions is a very foundational lever to driving more revenue. And it's been incredible to see our merchants and their end shoppers become more successful as a result of offerings that companies like Thrive provide. I think it's like an e-commerce founder's dream to have subscription revenue, right? Because yeah. cash flow is such a challenge with any e-commerce business and having subscription revenue really helps alleviate that. And so I'm curious from your perspective, you two are both kind of the go-to subscription revenue e-commerce experts in the space. If I'm running a brand right now that doesn't have any subscription revenue, What's a good starting point to try to figure out how can I add subscription revenue to my brand? Is it about launching a new product line? Is it about some sort of digital type of subscription I can add to my product line? What's the best route to explore that you've seen successful? Yeah, I think one of the like core principles in which we started was any business should be able to figure out a way to have some repeatability. It might look very different for a food and beverage business that it will an apparel business, but there's a way to make it work. And so I think one of the fallacies a lot of brands fall into is they think, okay, we need a subscription product, but that's not necessarily always the case. Sometimes the e easiest way to get recurring revenue is to look at your existing customer purchase behaviors. Do you have customers that buy the same product over and over? Amazing. Mm -hmm. Why don't you just start with launching a subscription as an additional option on a product right. that you already sell one time? So think, you know, adding a subscribe and save as an option to any of your existing products. And the thing is, if it's easy to set up and super frictionless, then you can test, right? There's no harm in launching subscriptions as an option on a bunch of different products, see mm -hmm. which products have stronger adoption, and then continuing to invest there. So Got I would it. say just try it out, experiment, subscribe and save is often a great starting point. One yeah, of the questions that comes to mind with that is subscribe and save. And what kind of discount rates are we talking about from a subscription that you found success with of your merchants? You know, you have so much data across all the merchants that use. If I want to do subscribe and save, am I talking about giving a 5% discount a 25%? What's the sweet spot that I should really be looking at if I'm setting that up? Yeah, the discount really depends on the product vertical as well as what other offers incentives you have. So I would say there's no one size fits all like magic number for brands broadly. But for example, if you are a brand and you offer 10% off for signing up for email and text, your subscription offering should be a little bit more exciting than that. And these are just ranges, but we typically see subscribe and save be anywhere between 10 to even 25% and then refining down based on relative incentives, what your market is doing, what other competitors are doing. But again, people should be experimenting with prices and experimenting with different discounts to see what leads to the most incremental revenue and LTV of your subscriber. I think that's the kind of the important piece there, which is you should think about what are you going to be getting out of this customer over their lifetime and how much are you willing to subsidize that and so you're doing subsidies across the board in your business whether you're providing discounts for example or price reductions and that's to drive some sort of incremental behavior that's behavior that would not have happened if you hadn't given them that discount and so i think what's powerful about 
about Thrive and our philosophy is that you should be in a position to test out different discounts and you should be in a position to look at your data and see what the opt-in was and look at the cohort analysis and say, hey, folks that started on this 5% discount were with us three months later and this is what the percentage was versus 10% off. And you can start backing into something that makes sense from a profitability perspective. It makes a lot of sense. And speaking about profitability, everyone wants to be first purchase profitable in the e-commerce world. And I think in today's environment, just with the iOS 14 updates and everything that's happening across in TikTok, it's pretty hard actually to be first purchase profitable. And can you walk us through from your data set, what you're seeing, what's the payback period across different industries, whether it be beauty or apparel, what kind of payback periods are you seeing for a subscription type of product across these different industries? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot that goes into kind of the payback, which is also the cost structure of the business. And so it varies very significantly across many different industries. But I think subscriptions, the interesting piece around the subscription revenue part, and which is why we try to enable merchants to take 100% of their business being one-time purchases to maybe 20% of their business being subscriptions driven is that it is a lot more forecastable and a lot more dependable and oftentimes leads to being more high quality revenue and at the end profit. And so it's hard to say what kind of the concrete numbers are because every business is different and every business invests a lot differently in terms of acquisition. And so that also drives a lot of the unprofitable kind of behavior earlier on. But I will say, whether it's e-commerce, whether it's a startup, you're always going to be spending more money than you're bringing in initially right. to drive that audience. And so I think one of the bigger pain points and kind of focus areas that we see right now in the e-commerce space is discoverability and how do merchants think about getting a lower CAC and how do they think about finding new sources of revenue that are less dependable on advertising, which is even less efficient now with the updates that you've mentioned. Yeah, let's talk about different ways to acquire a customer briefly, right? From the merchants that you work with right now, have you seen any innovative strategies that have driven a lot of growth, especially just recently having Black Friday, Cyber Monday? Do you see any brands that you work with implement a really unique strategy that caught your eye? What we've seen not to focus specifically on subscriptions, but a couple of interesting things was launching really juicy incentives for Black Friday, Cyber Monday for subscription product offerings specifically, really because this kind of factors into the payback that you were mentioning. But if the LTV of a customer is 3x higher on a subscription than a one-time purchase, you're able to significantly discount that initial subscription purchase because you're going to get a lot more out of it. So we saw pretty meaty incentives and discounts on subscription purchases. And that led to a much larger subscription base, which is a lot more reliable and, and dependable revenue. So that was awesome. That was something that we saw. The other piece that we saw was really offering benefits outside of just a price incentive with Black Friday, Cyber Monday. I think one of the big threads in retail and e-commerce right now is consumers are looking for their purchases with brands to not be so transactional. They're looking for community. They're looking for membership. They're looking for all these different other benefits as opposed to just giving some dollars to get a product. And so we saw a lot of limited edition drops, invites to events, membership into a club where you get rewards and incentives the longer that you continue purchasing. And I think that's going to be another focus area, especially for 2023. Yeah, that kind of reminds me of what a lot of big influencers did just two years ago. Like I know Logan Paul had the Maverick Club and that was a subscription type of community. And it makes a lot of sense to further 
engage a brand and an audience. So I guess I'm curious, what are your kind of current thoughts on the creator economy? And you see so many brands trying to line specific creators or so many creators launching their own brands. Is that the future where you have big YouTubers and celebrities and whoever it may be launching their own products that are very specifically targeted towards their audience? I'll take a stab at it, but I think, look, it never hurts to have an audience, right? If you have an audience that you can start monetizing, I think it's an incredible thing. I think oftentimes you've seen this in the past with deals that specific movie stars or other folks in the traditional entertainment industry have done. It's a matter of, is the product actually good as well? And what stake do those folks have in building the product? So I can't speak to for Logan Paul and some of the other folks in this space, but certainly the folks that are building their own brands that are actually in the and the making of the products themselves and are not just faces that are being brought in from a management company, I think make probably a big difference in being authentic to that space as well. With that said, I think it's an incredible marketing lever and folks as they've relied in the past will continue relying on it. And let's be frank, the eyeballs are on YouTube and they are on TikTok and they are in all these spaces. And so I think that's gonna continue happening. And I think like brand affinity is like another big point, right? Mm -hmm. had one of our clients, which is a skincare business, a really strong like influencer brand, cult following, they launched subscriptions and their subscriptions program grew like firecrackers, crazier wow. than like any other brand that we've launched. The product was great, but it was really mm. just, they already had such a loyal following where people were joining her reels like every single day and there'd be millions right, of them. Right. So in, in terms of product adoption, there was already the desire to be a part of that community. And so buying into that by purchasing a product on a recurring basis was just a natural extension of being a part of that brand and influencer journey as well. Yeah, it makes sense. One of my friends runs this YouTube channel called Epic Gardening. He's the biggest gardening influencer in America. It's crazy, but the gardening awesome. niche is huge. And yeah. he launched e-commerce and now his customer acquisition is positive because YouTube pays him for the ads that are run on his channel. Mm -hmm. He actually has a positive CAC, which is just insane and so different than any e-commerce brand that you chat with. And so it's such a different dynamic compared to a traditional e-commerce brand. And I think the days of just launching a Facebook ad or Instagram ad are kind of gone and you've got to really focus on building an audience and a community or tapping into an existing community. And that I think is just so vital in today's world of e-commerce. I'm curious as you dive, I want to dive into the nitty gritty of subscriptions. Most brands that you onboard, are they brands that already have a product that they can just sell in a more subscription oriented manner or are most of the brands launching a new product specifically for subscriptions? Because I think it's a little bit different from a brand perspective of, okay, I'm going to launch subscriptions just to add a recurring revenue to an existing product that I sell, or I'm going to add a new product to my product line that is more geared towards subscriptions. So what's the majority? And if you can give an example, that'd be great. Yeah, I would say most of our clients have had subscriptions in the past. They had an existing subscription business. They're migrating from a legacy provider that they're unhappy with. So I'd say that's probably 60% of our business, 60, 70%. But then there's another world of, okay, you wanna launch with subscription. I would say probably two thirds of that segment are just adding repeatability to an existing product. So I sell a beauty product or I sell a drink product. Let me also offer it on subscription. But then I would say that 
additional third, they're definitely launching new products on subscription. So, you know, think about a business that wants to launch a quarterly box, for example, mm. which might be a curated selection of existing products or an apparel business that might be launching a product that needs to be replenished every six months and they're adding that to their product offering. So I would say based on where we're focused, that's what the breakdown looks like. Got it. Makes a lot of sense. Can brands do like just digital subscriptions through Pride? If I want to just have a almost maverick type of club like Logan Paul has, like I want to start the e-commerce on tap club or whatever it may be. Can brands do digital subscriptions? And is that another avenue you think that brands should actually tap more? Yeah, I think one of the pieces is there's different kinds of membership or subscriptions, but this one would be a membership as access. So you become a member and you get access to different things, whether it be digital goods or access to a portal where you have additional things that are being placed. That is certainly something that we are able to enable and provide. We've yet to see like an extraordinary example, an incredible digital experience that is being provided. But I think there's definitely a lot of headroom there for focus on more experiential things. Makes a lot of sense. And what's your pulse or view on brands or just businesses in general that are financing subscription revenue? I know a lot of e-commerce brands, they're financing their subscription revenue where they're selling their monthly recurring revenue as AR just to get some of that cash up front to manage their cash flow. What's your general pulse and opinion on that of financing your MRR? And then I also want to talk a bit about your opinions on revenue-based financing like Shopify Capital and sources like that. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think when you think about your working capital needs, you're always going to need to finance your inventory and specific needs, and you might have small shortfalls. So I think that's where that type of financing comes into play. And it's a great, incredible, could be a great way for you to, to get rid of those holes in your finances. But I, I think where it becomes interesting is where you do actually know, based on your current active subscribers, how much revenue you're going to make mm -hmm. the next X months. And you do know, even as a business, what your traditional churn rates have been. So you actually know what that 20% or 50% of your revenue, if it's subscriptions revenue, what that's going to look like month to month. And so that makes it very easy for someone that is financing or underwriting that to say, hey, actually, this is not that risky. We're willing to, to give you this much. And that's how things work. But at the end of the day, that is that, right? And so you have to be careful with what you're putting that capital towards and how you're utilizing it and what other additional risk areas is you're providing? Are you getting more inventory? How sure are you that you're going to be selling that inventory? I think what makes it more interesting is that if it is subscriptions inventory, you know, like you can look at a graph and you can know that two months from now for this active subscription, you're going to need XYZ products because right. they're already locked in. Makes it easier and less risky overall. In terms of regular revenue-based financing, I think that's where things become a little bit more challenging, especially for businesses that bought their growth in the sense that they spent a lot on advertising, then right. is there any repeatability to your business? And do you know that you're going to be able to make that money again next month or next year? And you took a loan, so now you have to repay that and it becomes really challenging. So yeah, that's how I would think about it broadly. Speaking. Yeah. My question stems, I've just known a lot of brands personally that over the past two years, they've just grown like crazy and now growth, they're still growing, but not at the rate that they were. And so they were really debt heavy to finance their growth and buy inventory to continue to meet those growth targets. But now they're in a position where they aren't growing as much. They have these debt payments to keep up with yeah. and they have a lot of inventory on their balance sheet. And I just see a lot of brands in a really challenging position right now with revenue-based financing that they've taken on, whether it be through Shopify Capital or ClearBank or whoever yeah. it may be. And so I'm just curious, is that what you've seen with some of the brands that you work with? And I feel like 
subscriptions should alleviate some of that. But yes. at the same time, it's just a really position for these brands to be in because the last two years were amazing for e-commerce and now our industry is still growing, but just not at the rate yes. that, it, that it was. Yeah, there definitely was a bit of a tide that kind of lifted all boats in the past couple of years, which has been awesome. But I think another piece that we've seen, and Claudia can maybe speak a little bit more to this as well, is just traditional equity-based financing that's been happening in the B2C space and just the propensity of regular folks in the venture capital world to invest in this space and to invest in brands and founders in a similar fashion that they would invest in traditional technology companies. And so we know folks that we've worked with in the past and that have backed us that also back high growth brands. And so that's another source of capital that's not debt-based, that's equity-based. And I think it makes for an interesting way to think about a business. So I think that's another avenue that, um, maybe is going to be drawing a lot more attention in the coming years as we start seeing bigger brands become billion dollar brands and have right. those exits that the traditional VC community had been looking for. I would say that there's been a push there too. Well, yeah. I mean, what do you think about equity-based financing, you know, just capital raising in this environment, right? Because it's changed just so much over the past year. And so I guess there is still a lot of large outcomes that have happened in the e-commerce world. I think e-commerce is a lot different than SaaS, right? And so SaaS revenue is so differently valued. And I think that's why subscriptions are so important for e-commerce. And I think that's why e-commerce founders need to realize how important subscriptions are for their business because it really increases the equity value of their business, right? And so, I mean, maybe Claudia, if you want to kind of dive into that and, and touch more on that. I think in this market, the more you can do to set up yourself for predictable future revenue, the better. Great deals are still happening. There's definitely a slowdown. And so the burden of proof to raise a Series A or Series B is much higher than it probably was a year or two years ago. But what's really interesting is the investors that we talk to, all the deals that they consider, at least in like the consumer space, e-commerce, D2C, what have you, they all tend to be subscription businesses because right. it is a revenue model that they're more confident in, they're more comfortable with. Because right. if you're looking at a 100% subscription business, that is all pretty much recurring revenue. Sure, right. you probably don't have an annual contract like Salesforce, mm -hmm. but it's certainly a lot better than making sure that your business is dependent on an influencer driving a one-time purchase. Right. And so I would definitely say brands are looking for venture capital, they should seriously consider figuring out how they can make a larger percentage of their revenue. Yeah, let's just dive into the details here a bit, because if I think about the large e-commerce outcomes, well, obviously there's the darling of Dollar Shave Club, which was the first billion first dollar exit in the e-commerce world that I'm aware of. And more recently, there was Hero Cosmetics for I think six or $800 million, both very heavy subscription-oriented e-commerce businesses. And then you compare that to Casper mattresses or Purple mattresses or Allbirds, which a lot of their financials are either public because they've gone public or because just reporters have reported on their financials. What are your thoughts just in general? Obviously, I think the goal of a founder is usually to sell their business eventually. It just seems like it makes sense to really focus on subscriptions. Yeah. With a mattress, there's only so much you can do. You probably don't need one delivered to your doorstep every year. But right. I think it's not a coincidence yeah. with the examples that you just showed. Really? Again, I think, especially in this environment, if someone is looking to start a business, definitely think about a business model with repeatability. If you're an existing founder, think about how you can creatively incorporate repeatability into your existing product. And ultimately, I think like at the end of the day, like it's all about like 
cash in, cash out, profitability, revenue growth, making totally. sure that your tax are low. And it's just by virtue of how subscriptions are structured, that business model helps on all counts. Got it. Makes a lot of sense. The last question I ask every guest on e-commerce on tap is what's one question I did not ask you that you wish I had asked that you want to answer. So I'll put Alex in the hot seat first. Alex, do you have a question that comes to mind that you'd like to answer on air? Oh, boy. That's uh, being put on the spot. I would say, what uh, is your favorite brand would be a really difficult question to answer. But, that one. but I would say one of the new brands that we have onboarded that I've enjoyed their drinks incredibly well has been Wild Wonder. That is a new brand that we've just tried is now available on subscription. And it's a great drink. Awesome. Wild Wonder. I'll check it out. Claudia, how about you? Yeah, I was going to say, ask me what my favorite brand is, <laughs> but given that Alex has already taken it and maybe my answer would have also been Wild Wonder. I guess the question I would ask is really what's different about Prive and what is what we can uniquely offer to brands? And my answer to that is we're really trying to rethink just the revenue layer for commerce more broadly. And so if you're a D2C business or e-commerce business that's thinking about just figuring out how to get more out of what they're putting into their business, come talk to us. Like, even if you're not down for a subscribe and save, we have a product offering that unlocks a lot more than that. So we'd love to chat. Awesome. Sounds good. Appreciate everyone listening in and Claudia and Alex, thanks so much for coming on e-commerce on tap. If you want to check out Prive, go to tryprive.com. And thank you again, Claudia and Alex. Thanks, Thank you so much, Nathan. Appreciate it.